but the next moment is a rebirth. And if you've ever read any books and bothered your head about death and rebirth, this is the most exact aspect of rebirth. Every single moment. Everything disappears and comes back together again. The scientists have for years already known and said that there isn't a single solid building block in the whole of the universe. And they've actually had laboratory tests to prove it, the bubble chamber. They said everything are energy particles coming together and falling apart. The Buddha said that two and a half thousand years ago, but he saw it in himself and therefore became enlightened and the scientists saw it in the bubble chamber. But if there's not a single so solid building block anywhere, what about us then? Are we a solid building block? Or are we the same? Energy particles coming together and falling apart. It doesn't look like it, does it? We're all looking very solid. You can even touch it and it feels solid. And we're all looking very separate. But by becoming more and more attentive and mindful to each single moment and realizing how the breath falls apart, the thought falls apart, that moment falls apart in itself. The body has the quality of movement within, not because we're moving our limbs, but because the body within moves, because all the cells are falling apart and coming together we get an inkling of absolute reality. We lose nothing other than an illusion, which is optical and mental. We certainly look solid, and we all look separate, and we all look different, which is an optical illusion, which immediately brings with it a mental illusion, that it must be me, since it isn't you, it must be me. But when we become mindful enough to watch each single moment falling apart, an inkling comes that this illusion could be well let go of in order to bring about greater freedom. Greater freedom from wanting, greater freedom from fear, primarily from fear. Because if there's nothing solid, what is there to be worried about? It's all happening anyway. We learn mindfulness to being attentive to this breath and not another one because it's impossible. But we use that mindfulness in our activities. So when we get up here, we know we're standing up. And what is the first thing that we learn? We learn that the mindset stand up and the body follows. This is the first step into insight, that mind and body, while intrinsically connected, are two, the two aspects that are making up a human being, and mind is in charge. So we can actually, with mindfulness, become aware of that. 
And when we become aware of that, not just hearing it or reading it, but aware of it, it gives us much incentive to look after our mind. Because the mind's in charge. What else is important? It makes up our whole life. And our whole life is made up of one moment following another. Which moment could be more important than this one? If we want to live life, we've got to live in this one. If we want to be a bystander and just watch it go by and not actually being in it, but just being worried about it, then we will remain in past and future. Mindfulness means that we are attentive to our physical actions, which means mind and body remain together. We have a saying which says, washing dishes while washing dishes. Try it at home. See what happens when you wash dishes. The hands are washing the dishes and the mind says, why is it always me that's washing the dishes? Why can't somebody else do it? Why, is it, why are we using so many dishes? I think we should buy paper plates. And then uh, it says, I've got to ring my best friend. I haven't talked to her in days. All the while washing dishes. That's not washing dishes while washing dishes. That's trying to escape from washing dishes. If we wash dishes while washing dishes, that means also that we listen while listening and we read while reading. How often has it happened that you've read a whole page and at the bottom, all of a sudden, you didn't know a word that was on that page, you've got to start all over again. It happens to everybody. The mind just goes off on a tangent. And how often does it happen in meditation? Better not to talk about that right now. <clears throat> Being there means that we are totally involved with what? With what's actually happening. With our own life. And sometimes with those people that touch upon our lives. If we're not totally present, how can we have loving-kindness for others? We'll probably think what they did last week and what they're going to do next week and how they're going to react and how they're going to talk and what they're wearing and uh, how their hair looks instead of being totally present to their manifestation so that we can react to them with love and compassion. That too needs immediate presence. We're used to amassing knowledge in our heads because it's um, useful in a worldly way. But we're not used to letting go <coughs> of our views and opinions and staying with total awareness. 
If we don't learn total awareness, we won't learn meditation properly and we'll never see the underlying reality of all that exists. That what we do know, that what we see here, is a relative reality which has never made anybody totally happy. It always leaves something to be desired. It could be better, it could be more comfortable, it could be more beautiful, it uh, could um, give me more satisfaction. There's always something wrong. There's never total contentment. Absolute reality doesn't have that difficulty. Absolute reality shows us that whatever happens has arisen disappears mostly immediately. It has constant movement in it, just like our thoughts, just like our body, just like our feelings. Only mindfulness and proper attention will make it possible for us to change our thoughts. If we don't pay proper attention to what we're thinking, we won't know that it's harmful and negative and unwholesome and we won't be able to change it to something wholesome. That proper attention, that introspection, is the greatest benefit we can get from meditation. The more we can concentrate, obviously, the stronger the mind is, the easier we can do it. But even a little is more than we usually have. All of us have the ability for mindfulness. There's nobody without it. We use it all the time. We use it for survival. If we didn't have mindfulness, we'd get run over when we cross a busy street. We use it for not cutting our fingers off when we peel potatoes. We use it for dialing the phone, get the right number. All that's mindfulness. But as soon as we have used it for that survival syndrome, we stop. We don't pay any more attention. And yet to use it for survival is a lost cause. It's a foregone conclusion. None of us are going to make it. Nobody survives. So we might as well use our facility and faculty for mindfulness, for spiritual growth, which it enables us to do, by seeing within ourselves how we can actually use each moment that arises to becoming aware of its also passing away and knowing by that that each moment means a new rebirth and a death because all our cells are constantly moving, all our thoughts are constantly moving, our breath is constantly moving. If we get an inkling of that, it will take away some of that feeling of solidity that we have about ourselves. It will help us to feel a little more transparent. And as we feel a little more transparent, our viewpoints and standpoints are not quite as heavy anymore. We're more open to something new, something that's entirely different, based on the old, but seeing it differently. Mindfulness in the Buddha's teaching is always coupled with clear comprehension. Mindfulness is 
the knowing. Clear comprehension is the discrimination. Clear comprehension has four points. The first is that if we want to say or do something, we first examine what is the purpose. Even with a thought, we examine the purpose. If we agree with the purpose, if we are convinced that it's a good purpose, then we examine whether what we have in mind are the most skillful means in order to accomplish that purpose. Now up to then, any purpose and any skillful means might fall under that category. For instance, a person who intends to rob a bank may think about that purpose and say, well, the bank's got too much money anyway and I haven't got enough. So it's a good purpose. And have I got the skillful means? Yes, I've got all the right tools and I know exactly where their burglar alarm is. I know exactly what to do. But the third consideration will break that kind of um, reasoning down because the third consideration is is my purpose and are the skillful means within the Dhamma? Are they within the goodness of a spiritual law? And never does the end justify the means. The means have to be just as virtuous as the end is supposed to be. So even if the purpose is good and the means are not, that is no excuse. So if we have ascertained that our purpose is valid, our means are skillful, and all lies within a spiritual law, then we can go ahead. And after having said or done what it was that we wanted to do, we investigate. Did we accomplish this purpose that we had in mind? And if not, why not? And if we do that, we slow ourselves down, we stop ourselves from impulsive reactions, which are very often leading us astray, and it helps us to recognize skillful means, valid purpose, and it helps us to recognize where we have gone astray if we don't get the purpose that we had in mind. This is a companion reasoning to mindfulness. Mindfulness is nothing but attention. This is the examination of that what goes on within oneself, which we have recognized through attention. You can call it introspection. You can call it bare attention. It is something which brings us the greatest result. The Buddha called it the one way for the purification of beings, for the reduction of pain and grief, for the final elimination of all dukkha, for entering the noble path, 
for realizing Nibbana. Mindfulness is that one way, knowing. Now this is the greatest benefit we get from paying attention to each breath and to realizing what each thought is, to paying attention to each step when we do walking meditation, to paying attention to each step when we get up and go out, when we put our shoes on, when we take them off, when we sit down, when we get up. These are the physical actions. There are four bases for mindfulness. And although it will be difficult for you to remember all this, I will tell you these things because we won't be together long enough to go into the absolute uh, final details of it all. The first thing is the body, which you're doing when you're paying attention to the breath, which you're doing when you're paying attention to your steps in walking. That's the first base of mindfulness. The second base of mindfulness is feeling. When you pay attention to an unpleasant feeling in the sitting position and realize how you're reacting to it, that is the second base. It is also your attention to your emotions, which means that you become the observer and you don't have to react. This is the biggest lesson anyone can learn, particularly people who are very much bothered by emotional reactions. All of us have emotions, but it's our choice when we have learned mindfulness whether we react to them or not. We don't have to. Somebody says something unpleasant to us. We don't have to get angry. We can if we wish. That means we become master of ourselves. If we become angry automatically, we're a victim. A victim of our emotions and a victim of our circumstances. Everybody meets up with people who will be unpleasant to them. Even the Buddha had abuse libel and great difficulties with people and even with monks and nuns. Nobody is immune. And Jesus was killed. What to say about us? All of us are confronted with unpleasant situations where things don't go the way we want them to go, where people don't support our personal image where people are not helping us to um, feel very um, skillful and beautiful and intelligent, where they make us feel just the opposite, either because they're more beautiful and more skillful and more intelligent, because they let us know that. It happens to everyone. And how do we react? Depressed, angry, upset, blaming them. That non-reaction is a result of mindfulness. When we know our feeling and become the observer instead of the reactor. When we're observing, we don't have to react. We're just there watching it. 
Oh, oh, I'm getting angry. Well, what use is that? And the minute that has been done, the anger subsides. Just as you become the observer of your thinking in the meditation, and the minute you've given it a label, that thought subsides. A new one comes up, but that too eventually will stop. The mind gets tired of this doesn't want to continue this game forever. So the second phase of mindfulness are the mind, is a mindfulness on our feelings which con- contains sensation and emotion. And if we learn this, to be present right then and there and observe carefully, it doesn't mean that we suppress any emotion. We can only let go of that which we have solidly in hand. So as we have that emotion fully in hand, we know it, we observe it, it again disappears. Everything that has arisen must also disappear again. It can't stay. So we have a very um, important and uh, strong assistance in purification there. Our third foundation of mindfulness are the, is the attention to our thoughts. Now, I've mentioned that already before. That is a thing we learn very strict, very strongly in our meditation practice and continue that in daily life. Knowing what we're thinking, not letting the thoughts run riot, letting them do whatever they please, but knowing what we're thinking and changing them at will. Only if we know can we do that. If we don't know, what can we change? It's impossible to have a kind of... um, control over something that we're not aware of. And the fourth foundation of mindfulness is the understanding of the content of our thought, which means, is it wholesome or unwholesome? Where our labeling during meditation has given us the greatest assistance. So what we learn in meditation, we need to take with us into daily life. Watching what the body is doing, being there, realizing how every moment is our life. We don't have any other life except this one moment. Everything else is a hope and a prayer or the past that's long gone. So then, our emotions and sensations, particularly emotions, if we know them, we don't have to react unless we choose. We're no longer a victim of outer circumstance, but become totally at ease with ourselves because we know we can do what we think is correct. Outer conditions no longer 
make us do things or think things that we don't wish to think. Our thought processes and the content of the thought. Anyone who practices these four foundations of mindfulness has a spiritual path, will doubtlessly purify, and will doubtlessly eventually meditate properly. To practice the four foundations of mindfulness in daily life means that our meditation will have great assistance and any time that we meditate we are strengthening the ability to be mindful. We all have that faculty within, we're just not using it sufficiently. Mindfulness is the first of the seven factors of enlightenment. It's the seventh factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. It's the first factor of the five spiritual uh, faculties and the five spiritual powers. It is mentioned over and over again by the Buddha. It takes pride of place of all our mental formations. It doesn't have any praise or blame with it. All it has is attention, paying attention, knowing what's going on. The more we do that, the clearer the mind becomes. There's clarity of mind. There's decisiveness. There's a cutting through that which is totally un unimportant. Seeing clearly where we are, what we're doing. The mind does not get involved and convoluted but it knows and it sees and as it knows and it sees it can go deeper deeper into the profundity of a spiritual reality which escapes practically everyone because we don't use our mind for that we use our mind for worldly endeavors mindfulness is a spiritual endeavor and a Meditation is the way to practice it, train it, and strengthen it. And in daily life, we have to use it. I think that's enough about that topic. Before we now strengthen our mindfulness through meditation, do you have any questions that you'd like to ask? Yes. There's so many different um, uh, variations of the Maglake of Tars. If mindfulness is seven, what is the eight? Right concentration. And meditation is concentration. Uh, right concentration, Sama Samadhi in Pali, means the meditative absorption which means you no longer need the meditation subject. You go past the meditation subject. The meditation subject is the key. Once you find the keyhole, you don't need the key. <laughs> there are no variations on the Noble Eightfold Path. There are just eight steps in the same order always. There's no, no possibility of var varying the actual steps. There is a possibility of varying the interpretation, but not the steps. Yeah. Yes, what people think, what mindfulness is, or what. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sama Samadhi, meditative absorption. Eighth step. Anything else? Yes. Um, in the questioning of our thoughts and reactions, is there any place for that in meditation or in meditation tools for that to be a Or is there any place for that to questioning and the intention of picking up your thoughts and reactions? Is it only when you try to go back to the when you get involved in that writing and Meditation has two directions, calm and insight. When you're on the breath, you're practicing calm. When you're you're becoming aware of your reaction to the pain in the knee, you're practicing insight. Both go hand in hand. They are parallel. And since nobody, well, practically nobody, let's say, is able to get concentration at the beginning of their practice, particularly if they only practice now and then, Everybody has to practice insight, which means they have to become aware of the thoughts and label them and become aware of the reactions when they have unpleasant feelings. Because I find I don't have the thoughts of the future and past as much as the thoughts about my thoughts or the thoughts about my reactions going on. Goodness gracious. A mirror behind the mirror, huh? (laughs) Thoughts about my thoughts. Wait a minute, how does that work? Well, if you're analyzing, the label is analyzing. If you're questioning, the label is questioning. If you're thinking, the label can be thinking. If you're having something, a thought that is not attentive to the breath, it can only be future or past, because the present is only breath. So you don't have that many choices. Just let the convolutions of the mind go and get in there and see. There's nothing happening except future or past. So if you have difficulty getting to any other label, use three, future, past, and nonsense. One of those will always fit. (laughs) Anything else? Yes. The observer as such is not changing, but your mind, anybody's mind, is not a solid entity, but it also has the coming together and falling apart. So any thought process, although it seems to be solid and continuous, has the um, quality of constant arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. So the observer is there, yes because you're keeping, you're keeping attention on the fact that there should be an observer. But it too, has that, it too has that quality. Everything has that quality. But one has to be very mindful in order to become aware of that quality. The body looks solid, but it has that same quality, constantly doing this. There's a constant movement like that. Otherwise, why should it be growing old if it was steady? It couldn't because it's coming together and falling apart. That's how it does that. Everything is like that. Even the walls that look so solid. Otherwise they'd never crumble. Or we don't notice it. Because we don't put our attention there. 
Yes. <clears throat> Recognizing your feelings, and especially negative or angry feelings, I find that uh, pro uh, probably, or I've been taught anyway uh, by other people that we've got to express them, and you're saying that you just label them and put them away. Mm. All these adrenaline are still inside me. Well, when you have in the past expressed your angry feelings, were they gone or did you get new ones? I get satisfied when I offended. Right, but do you get new ones? No. So they're gone. Well, that's fine. You don't have anything to worry about. They're finished. You don't get any angry feelings anymore. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> You've done it. They subside. But what about uh, two months later? You get new ones? I see. All right. So you do it all over again. Exactly. So it doesn't seem to be a, a total solution, does it? It seems to be a momentary solution. Or? Maybe you like to think about it. Okay? Okay. All right. With the meditation, I'd like you to add a new dimension to it, as if you haven't had enough trouble with the old one. Namely, when you get disturbed by sound, if you don't get disturbed by it, forget it. But if you get disturbed by sound, become aware of what's happening. This is a very important facet of mindfulness also. So you hear something now, that's why no, there's nothing, but let's say you hear something and the mind says, ah, all these trucks, I'm sure they've got far more cars on the road now since they've got the strike. Such silly people making a strike. What is this country coming to? <laughs> and all you heard was the sound, <laughs> right? Okay. So then you go back and say, hey, wait a minute, I just heard a sound. So the next time you hear a sound, try to cut before the mental reaction. Sound only. Let me tell you that this is very difficult. But it's very worthwhile to do because it teaches you something about yourself which nobody knows about themselves, although it is obvious and easy to see. The ear can only hear sound. It doesn't hear trucks, it doesn't hear cars, it doesn't hear strike, it doesn't hear what this country is coming to, nothing. It just hears sound. So when the next time, after you've done this whole bit of what the mind says, then realize, ear can hear only sound, sound only. Stop the convolution of the mind and get back to that what is really happening. 
it is a very interesting practice because it shows us quite clearly that our sense contacts are completely dependent upon our mental reaction. Now, when you do this yourself, you'll know all about it. Sense contacts are dependent upon mental reaction. Sound only. Let's try it and see what happens. Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. Now think of yourself as your own best friend. Helpful and loving. Concerned with your well-being and happiness. Fill yourself with the warmth of that friendship for yourself. And surround yourself with it. Now think of yourself as the best friend of your parents. Helpful, loving, concerned about their well-being and their happiness. Fill their hearts with the warmth of your friendship and surround them with it. Now think of yourself as the best friend of those people who are nearest and dearest to you. Full of concern for their well-being and their happiness. 
helpful, appreciative, accepting. Fill them with that warmth, surround them with it. Think of all your good friends. Feel yourself as their best friend. Let them know the sincerity and depth of your friendship, your readiness to help, your concern about their well-being. Fill them with that warmth, surround them with it. Now direct your attention to the person sitting nearest you in this room. Think of yourself as his or her best friend. Appreciative and helpful, concerned about that person's happiness and well-being. Filling him or her with the warmth of your friendship embracing him or her with it. Now think of yourself as the best friend of everyone here. Concerned about everyone's happiness, appreciative, accepting of everyone's being. 
fill everyone with the warmth of your friendship. Embrace everyone with it. Letting everyone feel that there is a friend Now think of your neighbors at home, people at work, all the people you meet in your daily activities. Think of yourself as their best friend. Open up your heart to all of them. Fill them with the warmth of your friendship, helpfulness, consideration, and care. How do you stop their legs from going numb? Is that what you're saying? It doesn't matter. It's impermanent. Don't worry about it. Especially if you have no pain. What's there to worry about? Yeah, well, it takes a moment. Yeah, it just takes an, an extra half a minute for the uh, numbness to go away. It's, it's nothing to worry about. Yes? Uh, how important is the extreme discomfort of sitting as part of the process? Okay. Hmm. I thought we'd get that question. <laughs> I wasn't sure where it was going to come from, but I thought we'd get it. No, discomfort is not important at all. However, a disciplined sitting position is essential in order to discipline the mind. Because otherwise, and you can try this at home, you can lie down on your bed and you'll know why it won't work when you wake up again. <laughs> we have to have a disciplined sitting position. and. There is something to the one on the floor 
which only applies at later times actually because when one becomes really concentrated all awareness of the body vanishes and so one has to have a solid position because if you're sitting on a little stool maybe with three legs it mightn't turn out very well so if you're sitting on the floor with your legs um, giving a base uh, nothing is going to happen you just sit there nicely um, in the beginning naturally the concentration isn't good enough for that to happen the discomfort is something that turns people off of course which is a pity um, were you there earlier when I mentioned how we always try to um, remove ourselves from unpleasant feelings and therefore change our position so if it becomes too unpleasant by all means change um, and admit it that you've been conquered by an unpleasant feeling that's fine it's no problem um, that's the way it is and we need to look at our reactions and see that they are um, disliking the discomfort that we uh, have a rejection and resistance to it and it's interesting to uh, have that as our um, understanding that's an ins that is insight and only arises when we sit quite quietly and can observe ourselves and that same dislike and dissatisfaction and resistance arises in all situations in life when we don't like it naturally in meditation we'd like to become nice peaceful quiet joyful and all the rest of it which we will if we keep it going so the thing to do is with the sitting position find one which is the least discomfort take two three four pillows however many there are available <laughs> and um, if it does become too uncomfortable change but not without having tried to take the attention off the discomfort back to the breath and thereby learning that we are only aware of that where we put our attention this is an extremely important aspect of our inner being and then when it becomes too much and the mind says well this is wonderful but I'm not in it well change you know it is in our in our uh, tradition we don't uh, ever say it's got to be done that way we do the best we can yes the origin of removing shoes to come and meditate I don't know whether you remove shoes when you go to a Japanese restaurant I never do go I don't know I've never been <laughs> well it's uh, it's very common in the East uh, to remove your shoes when you go somewhere where um, you don't want to bring any dirt you know the shoes obviously take have the dirt at the sole so you want to keep it nice and clean and uh, for the walking meditation it is strictly a matter of being more connected to the sensation it helps to be uh, concentrated but otherwise when you sit in meditation on a pillow and you wear your shoes that's absolutely impossible it's so uncomfortable you can't do it 
and uh, uh, otherwise it's a matter of keeping the place clean. It's a very nice thing to do in your house. You don't have to vacuum so often. Not end, either. Oh, well, one or the other, yes. yes. As a crutch mm-hmm. to concentrate on the breathing. Mm-hmm. I found that I, I tried the words the first time and the numbers this time, and I found with the numbers that after a while, the breathing was being matched to the to my rhythm of saying the numbers instead mm. of the other way around. Yeah, do it the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> Match the numbers to the breathing. You, you don't want to make your breath anything other than what it is naturally. We want to become aware of things as they really are, not as we try to manipulate them or hope them to be, which is our usual stance in this world. So obviously we don't want to manipulate the breath. We just want to be aware of the breath as it is. So you just go along with the breath and give it a number. Do you find the number better than the words? Probably. Mm. Right. Were you able to label the distracting thoughts? Oh, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. If you went to 12 or 13 without thinking, that's fine. That's quite all right. So, uh, when you, but when you did have distracting thoughts, were you able to give them a name? I think I took a lot longer than I should have to, to, to label them. Oh, that doesn't matter. As long as you got there and I you... I got there eventually. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And which were the most pr- prevalent labels? Some things that were going to happen in the future. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're in good and company. <laughs> and when I was going to pick the kids up and... Yes, future. Yes, mostly future. Yes, that's uh, very common. But that's good, you see. If you find that for yourself, it's entirely different as if I'm telling you. When I'm telling you, that's, oh, yeah, it's very interesting. She knows all about it. But when you do it yourself, and find that this that you're thinking of the future, the impact is entirely different because you realize that you're not right there, you know, and then you can do something about it. That's what's very important about the labeling. Yes. Uh, similarly, I found myself thinking about a problem. Oh, you can call it problem. That's a nice label. You think you... Th- uh, enlightenment is a word that we shun. Uh, <laughs> you, you mean that you found a solution for it? Or that you found a reason for why this is a problem? Oh, good. All right, it's fine. That's fine. Sorry? dealing with it in a better way Mm. yes well the simplest way uh, to see that a problem uh, is not really a problem is when you look at it as a learning experience what am I supposed to learn this time 
and what is this particular lesson telling me and if you then get some answer for that in your meditation that's fine and no it's at the top but it's fine <laughs> you can't expect to get to the bottom line right away it's 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 valuable it's valuable it hasn't come all the way down to the bottom line yet but the bottom line is going to tell you why it was a problem in the first place it doesn't tell you how to deal with it because it's no longer necessary when you know why it was a problem in the first place you have nothing to deal with anymore sorry by questioning every answer that you get now see what i understand you to say is that there was a problem and that you now found a way to deal with it which could be escapism but it could be also learning the learning situation if it's escapism it's useless the same problem will real re arise again yes then you using it as a learning situation and if you use it for that then it's valuable but if you want to find out why it is a problem in the first place you've got to keep on questioning every answer you get huh? sorry if the mind is unable to leave the problem and get back to the breath yes that's the proper use for the meditation time if the mind is capable of leaving the problem alone and say later then that's better but we can't always do the best so we do the next best hmm? yes well it's very interesting it depends what that was when you had nothing what were you putting your attention on so what you're saying is i wasn't thinking yes. wonderful congratulations for how long okay keep it going more of it okay because when you keep that going a little longer a little while meaning what one minute five minutes three minutes you're right okay if you keep that going a little while longer meditation will happen that's fine and when you of course when you came to and said what thinking nothing you were thinking again yes, yes. yes. Self-sabotage. How does that work? The the sitting was. Mm. Well, while you were not thinking. Mm. Oh, I see. <laughs> you think you were getting out of control by not thinking. Okay, so I thought. All right, uh, let me explain that to you because it's very important. Um, if we were in control. 
we could make the mind do what we want it to do and we'd never be unhappy because only a fool gets voluntarily unhappy so obviously we're never in control when we stop thinking and can actually attend to the breath because that's what we came for that's the first time we've got the mind under control but what you were experiencing is not this control business but what you were experiencing is a fact and that is the reason why it's so difficult to become concentrated that unless we're thinking we don't have an ego support nobody tells us that we're really here we can only tell that to ourselves while we're thinking so at that time when there's actually this happening that you're not thinking that you're actually attentive on the breath then when you finish the mind comes back and says oh where was i i wasn't even here and you weren't the ego was laid to rest for a short period of time and because this goes against our combined grains it's very difficult to become concentrated be grateful that you were able to get concentrated and don't think that that's the wrong thing to do that's the right thing to do but at that time you were not ego centered and that is a first step in the direction where meditation actually goes oh well first do it then i'll tell you <laughs> yes no it's a nose breath have you got difficulty have you got asthma or something no yes okay fear are you sometimes experiencing fear yes this is where the women experience fear the men here the women swallow what they don't want to say so uh if you feel that very strongly relax physically physically relax just tell yourself let go and actually physically let the shoulders drop let the stomach drop let the head and the neck be really relaxed physically do saying it to yourself and doing it and then just watching the breath again now the fear which arose was not focused was it there wasn't anything particular that you were scared of no just relax and start again and every time it happens relax just you can also say to yourself i'm with myself there's nothing nothing happening i'm only with myself relax right fear is a human condition and um some people notice it more than others but meditation helps greatly yes it's not a mouse breathing um it's a breathing it's the breath through the nose has anybody had difficulty with that has anybody got asthma or sinus or some problem with nose breathing bad cold or something no nobody that's good okay yes <laughs> oh sorry a lotus flower is the same as a water lily 
<laughs> but I used to I used to say water lily in the West, and then I got tired of that, and I thought, no, lotus sounds much nicer. I'll say lotus again, uh, hoping that people will know it's a water lily. Well, That's fine. Still can't, I can't visualize things. I don't have a visual... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Um, I will do a different kind of loving-kindness meditation tomorrow. And uh, this, some people are very visual, and this helps them. And other people are not, and something else will help them. It doesn't matter at all. We use our ability. So when you couldn't visualize that, you just try to get to the feeling. Now, could you get to the feeling? Okay, there were words that I was saying, but did the words bring up a feeling? Feeling meaning emotion. Yes. It did. Yes. That's easier to. Well, it's not that easy for many people. <laughs> it's, uh, no, you're not supposed to picture that. You're supposed to feel it. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's easier to do that than to picture something. That's yeah. totally unimportant. The picture is quite unimportant. Yes? Well, they've got to relax that. <laughs> they've got to relax that. Hmm? What? I can't hear a word. What? Sorry, are you saying then that males and females process fear in their body differently? Very often. It's a generalization. It may not always be true. But so it's... What diseases would cause Oh, I have no idea. I, I don't know anything medical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm strictly a meditation teacher. What else? <laughs> yes. Uh, in, in the Zoom meditation, I had a, a picture of this thing completely unrelated. It was very lovely. It's big green hills and horses galloping through it. And I thought, isn't that pretty? I shouldn't be thinking of this and came back to it. But why would a completely unrelated picture, I haven't seen anything like that, not even on the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Not even on television. <laughs> um, no, the mind, uh, instead of telling a story, just makes up a picture. The stories that the mind tells during meditation are also totally unrelated and most of the time don't have any significance at all. And this is just the same thing in the form of a picture. It's, uh, the mind can do anything. We call the mind a mag magician. It con can conjure up anything at all. Yes, but you did the right thing. You let it drop and go back to your meditation subject. The only picture that has any value when it arises spontaneously is something that has significance about your own self. If you're in that, in some manner or form, whether you recognize yourself or not doesn't matter, but when you know it's you, then it may it must not, but it may have significance. Otherwise, all pictures are the same as words. They just drop and back to the breath. So, <coughs> if it's the same as words, can 
Well, what does it say, the voice? Oh, I got on the first meditation a few nervous pains. It was like mad at God. Well, at me, I've been dealing with lots of key issues. Mm. So is that like what did the voice say? I didn't catch fear that. Yeah? Equals pain. Fear equals pain. Mm. Uh huh. Yes. Well, so that actually. But that is actually an insight if you can use it because fear is painful, yeah. right? So you can from that make deductions. So that's an insight. And that's so good. That's good. Yes. Somebody else had their hand up back there. Didn't somebody just say yes? Yes. The same ones came came back, or new ones? No, same one. Same one. And had you given it a label? Trivial. trivial. And it came back just as trivial. Patience. Just patience. You can tell it to go away. You can say later. You can say nonsense. You can say, what do I need? Why do I need this? Anything. But if it comes back, you just have to relax the mind, relax the body, watch the breath, let it come back, give it another label, let it come back. Just patience. Yeah. That it will go away? Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. Um, if you can do that, forget about it, and put your attention back on the meditation subject, that's excellent. Because that... Didn't last long, right? Sorry? It didn't last long. Right? Didn't last long. Uh, but could you do it over and over again? Well, I found that I, I was able to concentrate far more when you were talking, when you were talking at the end of the last session. You I, could, I could go through the 10 minutes I had here and yes very common uh, quite natural I think tomorrow will already be better you see imagine yourself you want to uh, run a marathon and you've never done a thing like that you've never run a marathon at all so you, st and it, it's, I don't know, two miles or something like that. So you start out, and after uh, 100 meters, you're puffing. I mean, it's just too much for you. So the next day, you go 150, and then you go 200. The body needs the training. The mind does the same. It just has to get adjusted to something new. And the discomfort... There's something else you can do with the sitting discomfort. As I said already, there's no hard and fast rule that you've got to stay there, right? If you can take your mind off it, go back to the meditation subject, great. If um, after a while the mind says, well, I've had enough of this, uh, I want to move, fine, that's good too. But admit that you've given in to an unpleasant feeling. However, there's something else you can do with this unpleasant feeling, and that's this. 
We're going over time. Is that all right with you? <laughs> um, you see, we are constantly reacting to all our sense inputs. And we are not aware of that unless we meditate. Now, we have five senses. In the Buddhist um, terminology, we also use thinking as a sense. However, let's just talk about the five senses that everybody is familiar with, right? Hearing and seeing and tasting and touching and smelling. Now, the way a human being operates, we all operate the same way. It's very interesting because we think we're all so different and we look different and we talk different and we do different things, but in reality, we're all doing the same thing, namely, we have a sense contact. We hear something, see something, touch something. And from that, automatically a feeling arises. Now that can be of three kinds, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The neutral ones don't bother us because at least they're not unpleasant. So we've got two to deal with. We've got pleasant and unpleasant feelings to deal with, which we do all the time. Now, with that feeling that arises, the, the thinking process hasn't started yet, but now the perception comes in. And the perception says, in the case of an unpleasant feeling, it says pain. It gives it a name. And then the mental formation comes, the thinking process, and says, I don't like this at all. This is terrible. I'm sure my whole blood circulation is going to stop. This can't be good for me. I'm not coming tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing that happened was touch contact. That's all that happened. Now, this happens to us constantly because we're constantly seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. And this process is an automatic process. And if you like, you should check it up yourselves because my telling you may be interesting, but it doesn't make enough impact unless you've got it as um, your own personal experience. Now, in this case here, we've got touch contact, right? We can't have the feeling before we haven't got the contact. If we don't have this touch contact of the knee on the floor or the foot on the, on the leg or whatever it may be, there is no feeling. So now comes this feeling, and this is definitely an unpleasant one. So definitely the mind says pain, and then the mind says awful. And that is that mental formation, when the mind says, I don't like it, I'm not coming again, or whatever the mind says, that is the negativity which again and again brings us into situations where we feel negative reactions which tempt us into making bad karma. Now that doesn't mean that we can't call this pain. Up to that point, it's actually, up to the feeling point, it's automatic. The perception doesn't make karma yet, but the reaction does. 
So when the reaction says, I can't stand this, this is really awful, what kind of a silly idea is that? Sit on the floor, whoever heard of a thing like that, that's all already negative. It's very mildly negative, very, very um, um, innocuously negative, but it is negative. <coughs> so <coughs> you can use this particular experience of the unpleasant sensation as a learning experience how we operate constantly. So now when you get home, for instance, and you sit down and you eat something, watch the taste sensation, the feeling which comes if you like whatever it is, if it tastes good, you get a nice feeling. Then the mind says, good food, and then it says, I wonder if there's any more left. <laughs> Reaction of greed. This is the way we are. And we're doing it constantly. And if we don't get a, become aware of this and get an, a, a grip on it, we'll be doing it on our deathbed. Constantly. Looking for the pleasant, trying to get away from the unpleasant. Now, obviously, this is normal, but it's unproductive. Nobody wins. Nobody can get rid of all the unpleasantness and can get only pleasantness. There's no way that we can win. So it's totally unproductive. And as I said before, I'm not telling anyone you must sit, right? But what I'm saying is you must become aware. That's what we're on about, trying to become aware of what goes on with ourselves. That's our, we, are, we are our own lab laboratory. In this laboratory, we find out what's going on. So with this unpleasant sensation, you find out how we react. All of us, not just one of us. We all react in the same way. And try it out with anything at all. And then you will see also another thing, that we live through our sense contacts. And you might find that that's totally unsatisfactory. It's also unproductive. Maybe that's enough for one day, huh? <laughs> I have put up here yesterday I explained to you the benefits that meditation will bring you even at the very start, even when you don't become concentrated yet, but just use the meditation for some introspection that you can actually learn from it, that you can label your thoughts and change them from the thought to the breath, from the unwholesome to the wholesome. That you get to know your own thinking pattern. And another very important aspect is the fact that we stop believing everything we think. Because we can see in meditation that most of it is not believable, reliable. It changes constantly and it's not wanted 
would much rather be peaceful and quiet inside. So it helps us to get to know ourselves. It also has the benefit of purification because every time we concentrate, we cannot be negative. So even if you only concentrate one second, you have one second more of purification than you would otherwise have had. We also learn about our reactions, our reactions to our sense contacts, <coughs> primarily the reaction to the unpleasant feeling through the sitting position. That too is an important learning situation. So we learn about our thinking, about our reactions, and we have automatic purification. The more we are able to change from the thought back to the breath, the easier it is to do that in daily life. We learn another very important lesson which I'll explain in detail to you now so that when we start to meditate you'll be able to be aware of it and use it as much as you can. Now you realize the benefit of the labeling, you realize the understanding of changing the thought to the breath and you realize the and understand the reaction that we have, learning about our own reactions. Now, the, one of the primary aspects of introspection is mindfulness, which we learn through meditation. Now, the mindfulness that we learn here has to be extended into daily life, as otherwise, it's too short a period of time during meditation to make any impact on us. And anything that we do in daily living will help us in the meditation, just as the meditation helps us to realize it in daily living. Mindfulness means knowing only, being fully attentive, realizing what's going on. But it also means being totally in the present. Now this particular aspect of being totally in the present escapes most people completely. We are thinking about the future, what we could be doing then, how we could improve upon our present situation, and we also remember the past, and the older we get, the more of the past we remember, and it seems better than the present. It wasn't. But it seems all of a sudden the good old days. And one doesn't have to be very old to be in, pre in past and future. All one has to do is sit down and meditate and become aware of what one is doing. Now, obviously, that's not life. That's the thought process. And life cannot be thought. It's got to be lived. 
experience. What can we live and experience? Only this present moment. That's all we can live and experience. Now, if we try to live the future, that's hope and conjecture. And the future never comes. When it comes, it's called the present. Tomorrow never arrives. When it does, it's called today. The one who's thinking about the future is not the one who's going to experience it. By the time that future has arrived, that person has changed quite dramatically and is probably still thinking about the future, so has no benefit of this arriving now. The, to actually live in the present means that one is totally there, totally aware. But it has many benefits. The first one is, there's no worries. What is there to worry about if it's actually happening? All one has to do is pay attention to it and live with it as it is. There's no fear of the future because the future is recognized as something nebulous, as something just conceptualized and not real. The Buddha said, the past is irrevocably gone, the future is a yet to come. <clears throat> Only in the present can we begin to understand ourselves the way I am now, not the way I used to be. And besides, what do we care about how we used to be? We want to know how we are now. And what does it really matter how we're going to be? It's entirely dependent upon how we are now, this moment. Mindfulness, full attention, can only be on this moment. We can only pay attention to this breath. We can't pay attention to the one before. It's gone. And we can't pay attention to the one that's going to come. We've got to pay attention to this one. And just as we have to do that in order to meditate, we learn to be in this moment. Naturally, people say, but I have to make plans. I have to figure out what to do with myself. Well, yes, sometimes one does have to make plans. One can make a shopping list, for instance. But is it any use sitting there with a shopping list and worrying about the fact whether the prices have gone up again, whether they're going to have it at the shop, what one wants, whether one should buy this or that, or is it best to make the shopping list, put it on the table, and pick it up and pay attention to it when one's actually doing the shopping? So making plans for the future, if we do that at this moment, that is the present. We're making a plan. Living in that plan is the future. So if we make a plan when we sit down, I want to be concentrated. That's a plan. But then you have to drop it.
because otherwise you're going to live in that plan I'm going to be concentrated and can't concentrate so we make a plan let it go and then be really attentive this is the most impactful aspect of mindfulness and the Buddha called that the purification of beings during that time one is attentive one can't possibly be negative one is either or we're very lucky in that way we can only do one thing at a time with our mind although the Buddha said we can have 3,000 mind moments in the blink of an eyelid we don't usually have them and they are not simultaneous they're consecutive but it just goes to show how fickle our mind is that's all so when we are mindful and attentive and living in this particular moment being right there we can't possibly have any defilement so again we're having an automatic purification system we've got to make use of as much purification as we can get because to do it deliberately is very difficult if you've ever tried to be nice to somebody you don't like you know how difficult that is that's purification but having it automatically happen to us during meditation and during mindfulness we have such an assistance that it becomes easier and easier until in the end it's our second nature the negativities either don't arise or when they do arise they're so easily dropped that it makes no difference anymore this is what everybody's really aiming for because it brings peacefulness to the mind but we need assistance and direction there are very few people in this world that can figure this out by themselves that's why gratitude to a spiritual genius like the Buddha is also a great opening of the heart he gave us direction that we have to follow that direction that's our business but the instructions are there it's like a road map it leads us from where we're living now where we're at now to ultimate liberation and at every corner there's a road sign saying this way not that way obviously we have to know at which corner we're standing because you've ever picked up a Revidex and wanted to find out how to get to the next post office it was mentioned where it is but you didn't know which corner you were at the best road map is useless you've got to know where you're at and that too is mindfulness paying attention how we are how we react not with blame or praise mindfulness doesn't have that as its ingredient it doesn't have discrimination and judgment it is often called knowing only being totally attentive and recognizing 
being in every moment is not only the purification of beings, but it gives us an insight into the impermanence of our life. Every single moment disappears. 